Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Kia ora and welcome to Our Changing World from Radio New Zealand National. The Great Barrier Island community recently discussed a frightening scenario. What would happen if a pandemic wiped out the world's population and left the island's inhabitants as the sole survivors? Justin Gregory joined the community as University of Auckland microbiologist Susie Wiles led a panel of experts to discuss the likelihood of such a pandemic. In this scenario, a novel type A influenza virus called Motenza develops in a small village at the other side of the world and kills everyone it infects. Susie describes the pandemic's course from there. Over the next few months, outbreaks occur in neighbouring countries. Children die in one to two days, adults in four to five. No patients survive. Soon, hospitals and outbreak clinics are critically short-staffed as doctors, nurses and other healthcare workers die. Disastrously, in early September, cases of Mortenza emerge in Auckland and then spread throughout New Zealand. The government decides to isolate the small population on Great Barrier. Congratulations, everybody. Mm. By the end of September, New Zealand is silent and Great Barrier Island's population are on their own. Are you scared yet? In the context of the discussion here, this scenario is real. This is Lance Jennings. He's a clinical virologist at the Canterbury District Health Board and directs New Zealand's National Measles Laboratory for the World Health Organisation. I ask him if, outside of this discussion, the scenario is still a realistic one. He thinks it is. The scenario is, is really realistic. What we know about influenza viruses uh, and their ability to evolve across the species barrier from their natural hosts into humans uh, cause severe disease. In uh, rare cases, uh, develop transmissibility from human to human. Throughout history, influenza A viruses have been able to do this. What is scary at the present time is that we have both the influenza viruses circulating in southern China, the so-called H7N9 virus, which is uh, circulating undetected in chickens but has developed this ability to be cross the species barrier and infect humans with devastating consequences. We know that this virus is very unstable. It has evolved by picking up genetic material from other avian influenza viruses. We know that uh, in all these other influenza viruses, the genetic mutations that allow these viruses to become highly pathogenic and transmissible between humans exist. And so there is always the possibility that a novel virus that can spread effectively from human to human, causing severe disease, could evolve at any time. Over the course of the discussion, the audience have plenty of questions involving food supplies, firearms, the role of government and medical care. But all want answers to some basic questions. Who will die? How will they die? And how fast? Classically, influenza viruses, we have a short incubation period. Once we're exposed to the virus, in 24 to 72 hours, we develop symptoms. And influenza has a rapid onset. We can be sitting in a room like this and all, all of a sudden start feeling chilly and, and shivery. 
very high fever and sore throat, and then the development of a, of a cough. But importantly, with avian influenza viruses, these novel viruses that are in, in Southeast Asia and Egypt at the present time, these viruses are getting into the respiratory tract of humans and the lower respiratory tract and rapidly leading to, to uh, development of pneumonia and organ shutdown of people, uh, and so, so they, they die uh, in, in a matter of eight to ten days. So that takes a few days. So is there something that can kill us faster than that? A car? <laughs> Lance emphasises that an important part of pandemic preparedness is having a plan to deal with it. New Zealand has developed the National Health Emergency Plan, and like a virus, it regularly evolves and adapts. I can recall writing the first plan for Australasia in '96 on the back of an envelope. The pan national plan was used in 2003 to respond to SARS and then subsequently uh, for the H5N1 outbreak, avian flu outbreak. So it, it's an evolutionary document with public health issues like influenza, then it's the Ministry of Health that is the lead body. And it's a whole of government response so that Ministry of Education uh, and, and so on link in and take the lead, lead from health in terms of, of managing the outbreak and responding to the outbreak. And then in terms of what happens on, in, in local regions, the HBs have their own plans that control what is going on in both primary care and, and secondary care for managing their own communities. So in, in the scenario such as we've been discussing today with, with such a devastating virus and you losing some of those, those key people for managing the framework of a response, I, I think many aspects of it are di divulged right down to the community. So it would keep working regardless. New Zealand's ethnically diverse population means that, in the event of a pandemic, there will be a range of different responses to sickness, death and the disposal of bodies. Some of these may aid the transmission of the virus. There are plans to deal with this too. The importance of planning is thinking of, of things in advance and so part of that is dealing with specific communities. We saw and, exactly and the scenario play out with the Ebola crisis, didn't we? Very much so, mm. yes. But then the cultural issues there were family wanting to bury the dead and, of course, the process of, of preparing the bodies in close contact with the bodies and kissing the bodies. And, of course, this is how the, the Ebola virus is transmitted, is, is through infected body secretion. So that just enhanced transmission through, uh, of the virus through families. Of course, in Sierra Leone and those countries affected by Ebola, they'd just come out of civil war. They had no trust in authority. They had no trust in the, in the health system. Uh, so you can't overnight change uh, cultural practices in a, a devastating uh, outbreak situation. Unlike your favourite disaster movie, no super vaccine will be developed in just a few short days. Current practice requires a virus first, to which control reagents are then developed, and it may be possible after that to manufacture it in large amounts. The likely time frame is four to six months, possibly too slow for the virus in this scenario. As we learn more about these viruses, though, what is happening is stockpiling of vaccines is starting to occur. And in the United States now, what they're doing is they're growing up, uh, they're risk assessing all the different influenza viruses that exist in the wild populations. Uh, and generating vaccines to them uh, and storing them as crude antigen. And when uh, they need it, 
Um, they can be mixed with what we call an adjuvant. Adjuvants are something, uh, are compounds that potentiate our immune system, activate our immune system, and slowly release the antigen so we get a good response to uh, uh, an antigen and a vaccine. And that means you can introduce this concept of antigen sparing. You can use small amounts of antigen with an adjuvant uh, so that you use it for a larger number of people. But at the end of the day, you can only store so much of the, these vaccines and and uh, uh, the, the, the scenario is really for the protection of, of essential workforce, your healthcare pro providers and, 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 and your politicians and, 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 uh, and, and an organiser, or Great Barrier Islanders for, for that matter. So a, a vaccine with our current technology is, is, is um, not on the books. Even with quarantines in place, it seems unlikely that Great Barrier Island would escape the virus and be able to function as a lifeboat in a world gone quiet. And certainly not in this scenario. In reality, a virus that has 100% mortality is not inconceivable, uh, but we haven't seen it. But what, what was the percentage scary? of the 1918 flu? Well, it's about 3% of the world's population died. Some communities, like uh, we, we discussed uh, Western Samoa, that was nearer 50% of the community died when the virus went through there uh, because they started living, living in close proximity and, and allowing rapid transmission of the virus. Over 8,000 New Zealanders died, but some communities were at greater risk. Our Maori population, 1.4% of, of that population died at that particular time. How long will the virus survive? Um, this virus is adapted to humans, uh, so its lifespan uh, when it uh, is outside of a, a human is going to be relatively short. On surfaces and what have you, it's probably more, not going to survive more than six hours. If it was still an avian virus, um, then we know that um, viruses in chicken poo and what have you can survive for months. But the Mortensa virus is humanised and so it's going to die off pretty rapidly. There would be an added bonus to that because you could probably enter the Auckland real estate market. <laughs> Viruses do actually seem to be incredibly smart and they seem to be outsmarting us. How can we ever get these things under control? It's a good question. So is something similar to the Mortensa outbreak just a likely scenario? Or is it an inevitable one? I think it's a scenario that we've got to plan for. The Great Plague from the 13th century on. And Western Europe at that time, I think between 40 and 60% of the population were wiped out. What is happening now globally is that we're becoming more urbanised. The population globally is increasing. By 2050, I think it's uh, projected that there will be something like 14 billion people on the planet. They're going to need more protein. We've got to grow more chickens and pigs, uh, and we've seen an escalation in the chicken uh, population up until last year. I think that was estimated there's something like 21 billion chickens uh, being produced for, uh, for food production on the, on the planet, 1 billion pigs. By 2030, most of the population are going to be living in megacities of 10 million people or more, and uh, 29 of those megacities are going to be sitting above us. Viruses are getting agitated. We're starting to see lots of uh, novel influenza A viruses emerging. There are things going on that uh, we don't understand at this point in time that are uh, uh, allowing 
novel viruses to emerge and to cross the species barrier. And with increasing urbanisation and populations, the sort of the perfect storm scenario uh, is there. And I think it is ine inevitable that we will certainly have more emergence of, the, of these viruses. And uh, the chances for one uh, devastating virus occurring uh, uh, must be in our planning. You're an expert in the field. You find the scenario very likely. How likely do you think the wider public finds it? That, that's a very good question. And to keep this whole issue alive, the focus is on ensuring that seasonal influenza vaccination and the control of seasonal influenza, uh, promotion of influenza awareness around it, ensuring that those at greatest risk of influenza receive an annual seasonal influenza vaccine is the basis of pandemic preparedness. Uh, that keeps people aware of really the seriousness of uh, influenza. Indeed, it, it, it uh, builds capacity in terms of distribution of vaccine and ensuring people get the vaccine. It um, ensures that communication uh, systems are in there, ensures that, that the media are educated a, a, as well uh, about influenza on an ongoing basis. And so that means that when we do have a novel virus emerge, as happened in uh, 2009 with the H1N1 PDM, 09 virus, the so-called Mexico virus, there was a good basic knowledge uh, of influenza, its potential seriousness and preparedness in the community. That was virologist Lance Jennings. Also on the panel were John Titmus of the Ministry of Civil Defence and Emergency Management, David Johnston, Director of the Joint Centre for Disaster Research at Massey University, science fiction author Karen Healy and Susie Wiles from the University of Auckland. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, you can find more stories on our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash Our Changing World. Kakite anō. Botox Cosmetic, Atabotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.